and welcome. You are here for Ashley's Heart Song on the Win Win Women TV Network. And I am so pleased that you're here. That means that you are ready to let go of the stress and get back into your body, your life, your business. Because y'all, stress does not get us where we want to go. And we want to leave that behind and get into our power and into our own mode of operation that really does lead and direct us into the pathway that was meant for us. So thank you for joining me. Those of you who are here live with me, welcome. And if you're watching the replay of this show, so happy that you found it. And today is a very special day. I have Mona Catan with me today and so happy that she is here to help us with resolving so Mona Katan, I am going to introduce her with her um, bio that she gave me because I want you to get a grasp of what knowledge and experience she'll be bringing to our show today. Mona is a certified master life coach, a national board certified health and wellness coach, a licensed clinical social worker, and a 2022 Amazon bestselling author, instructor, and speaker. She has more than 20 years combined experience as a therapist in a mental health center, an addictions treatment center, a hospital emergency department, a private practice. Wow, that's a lot. She has provided coaching and therapy services to active duty and retired military service members and their dependents, and was a crisis counselor in a national call center. Mona began her transition to coaching in 2011 and has found that she could help people understand and resolve the impact of traumatic experiences on their relationships, health and careers, and why various addictions tend to be prevalent in the lives of trauma survivors. Mona continues to provide coaching to help people resolve the pain of their past without reliving it. Her mission is to reduce the number of deaths by suicide and the suffering that it causes to the family and friends who have lost loved ones to suicide. Mona, it is so wonderful to welcome you to Ashley's Heart Song. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you, Ashley. Um, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. So fun. So fun. So Mona, tell us just a little bit. I know that um, I think really, really where I want to start is you in the book, the, the best-selling book that you were speaking to in the bio, you wrote a chapter in that it was a compilation book. Is that right? Right. Different experts and yours, Wounded Not Broken, The Lies and Our Beliefs. Would you please just kind of just go into that? I think that's a great place to start. Thank you. Yes. So um, I have survived multiple types of traumas. And so this chapter was written about part of my journey, um, you know, in the recovery process. And so one of the things that I learned is that we're wounded, not broken. Um, things get broken um, and they can be mended, but we get wounded and wounds can heal. So one, it's a message of hope. And then I believed a lot of lies about myself. And it was things like, uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve. Um, you know, there's something wrong with me. I'm unlovable. Those kinds of things. There are about 50 that I've learned that are very, very common core beliefs that especially trauma survivors tend to believe about themselves and that keep them stuck. 
Um, and, you know, even as an entrepreneur, I have found myself recently stuck in my business around some of these same core beliefs because it's kind of new level, new devil. Now I'm an entrepreneur, not an employee anymore. I'm an entrepreneur. And so I have to go back through some of these core beliefs and see how they may be holding me back from being successful, keeping me stuck. And I don't like that stuck feeling. And I don't know anybody that does. For sure. Yeah. With the women that I work with, I find the same thing that it's, I'm not worthy of, I'm not good enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not skinny enough. You know, and it's, it's like we are inundated with this tape recorder in our mind. And it's like, where did it come from? Because not everyone, those words weren't said to everyone that has those thoughts. I know some people, horrible things were said to them. Yes. But others, maybe not, but it's almost like everybody has the same tape recorder, but some are just more um, embedded than others, right? Right, Because they came from something. So what have you found in that difference when you're working with people? Because have you found that the tape recorder is pretty much the same? It just depends on the level of intensity of that tape recorder? Pretty much. And, and let's go into, um, so most of these core beliefs are set in place before we're four years old. Okay, so it, these words may not have been said to me that, you know, it's possible no one ever told me I was worthless, but it was the way I was treated. Mm. So the example I like to give is, if I slap you in the face and tell you I love you, what message did you hear loud and clear? For a child, it's either love or hate. So if you hit me, I believe you hate me. If you ignore me or abandon me or betray me, you certainly don't love me. So and keep in mind that neglect is most common form of trauma. And that gives us that belief of I'm not worthy. I'm not important. And so I like to focus on uh, safety, stability, security, and significance. And significance is about that importance. And so if I work with someone who uh, has that I'm not important stuff, then their need for significance was not met in the family. So is that... You just mentioned those four S's. Was it four S's? Mm-hmm. Say safety, security, security, stability, stability, and significance. Yes. Yeah. So those are like four stages that you go through when you're working with someone, depending on what their need is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of when and every human being has those four needs, at least those four needs. For sure. Wow. My goodness. These are, um, this is in-depth work for you, Mona. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that is very um, heart-driven work that you're doing. And so I have a question for you um, because many women here, you know, we give and give and give and give, right? Whenever anything is in our life, whether it's our family, our children, an experience that we're having, our church, whatever it is, we tend to give and give and give. And your work is so heart-centered. And that 
is giving of yourself. And then also you have family. So what are things that you do that helps you to fill your cup? And maybe some things that you do to fill your cup, get your energy stores back, your heart-centered feel, right? Maybe that would help someone else know how to fill their cup. Because I know many women are, they were like, I don't know, a manicure? No, not a manicure. <laughs> it feels good, but it's only temporary, right? We need the long-term storage here. So what are things that you do to fill your cup after this kind of heart-centered work? Well, one is, you know, focusing on breathing and um, just really good basic self-care first off. Uh, if I'm not breathing well, if I'm not eating well, if I'm not sleeping well, um, and hydration, I have to have plenty of good hydration, um, then I'm not doing well. My system is out of whack, and it doesn't take a whole lot to get me out of whack some days. So um, it's, it's a very precarious balance between self-care and other care, and um, I'm not you know, I'm usually in the extremes. I'm either good at taking care of me or good at taking every care of everybody else. But in the moments, I determine who needs the care now. And if it's me, then I try to do the best that I can. And so in addition to basic self-care, then there's meditation. Um, and um, I look at meditation as one thing and prayer as another. So prayer is talking to source and meditation is listening to source. And so I try to engage in both of those. Um, you know, I, I do things to try to build good habits. Um, you know, if, if brushing my teeth every morning is one thing I'm pretty consistent with, then I try to build on that to be, put in more consistent habits that are going to benefit me. That follows that all, you know, habit stacking. But, you know, self-care, it goes back to putting the mask on first uh, before I can put it on anybody else. But, um, you know, yeah, it does come from the heart, but I don't know how not to do this work. I, I think I was born into it. Um, and all my traumatic events, that I survived and then overcame and thrived. And now I can provide a, a recovery journey for other people. Um, it may not be the same as mine, but that's what I'm good at is helping others find their recovery journey and what's gonna work for them and the resources that they have available. Because it's not about me, it's about you know who I'm working with. Yeah. So on your meditation practice, where, how did you learn how to meditate? I come across this a lot with people that I speak to that go, you know, I'd love to meditate, but I just don't know how to start, what to do. My mind just goes hither and yon. What is your practice and how did you find it? And what do you do? Because I think meditation is so important. Like you said, um, the words that I've heard is it's when you let the Lord have the floor, right? <laughs> he gets to speak, not you zip your mouth. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Stop the chattering in the mind. So what, how did you get started and, and how did, how did you get past that mental side of it? I was taught to calm my mind 30 seconds at a time. Mm -hmm. And if I couldn't make it for 30 seconds, 15 was good enough because I never had quiet space. And I even created my own visualization 
to teach people how to manage those ill-behaved runaway thoughts. Um, yeah, so I love to teach that. It's called Room of Doors. And people will adapt it and adjust it. You know, a year later, somebody will say, well, I used Room of Doors the other day. And they'll tell me how they used it. And it's like, it's evolved. They've created it into their own, but it works. And, and that's what I love. You know, my meditation, I can teach you how to do it my way, but you're going to adapt it and do it your way. So um, I think about, well, first, let me say that the thoughts that are running around, racing around in our heads, uh, mm -hmm. we created those. Most people don't realize that we create our thoughts. What we're thinking about doesn't just magically appear out of the air somewhere. Um, <laughs> we create them. And while we don't recognize what stimulates us to create them, it's usually that pattern of what we experienced before the age of four that taught us what to think about. You know, we're for trauma survivors, we're always checking the weather. Am I safe? Is it okay? You know, is somebody angry? And uh, what do I need to do next? Or we're in this what if thinking, what if dad comes home drunk? And what if mom is stressed out from work today? What do I need to do to be safe? So we have a lot of what if going on. And that keeps us stuck in, um, in our heads and avoiding our emotions and not fully present. And so learning to meditate for someone with a history of trauma can actually feel very frightening because it feels like we're letting our guard down. And it's like, well, I like to look at, I can take my eyes off the radar screen for 30 seconds mm -hmm. to focus on something else, whether it's my breathing, just listening to my breathing or trying to see if I can hear my heartbeat. Sometimes I can because it's racing so hard that you know I can hear it, I can feel it. Um, sometimes it's just focusing on a color, a shape, um, a thought, a word, you know, um, the, um, oh, um, you know, that sound and you don't have to be a yogi to do that, but just focusing on that sound because of the vibration, it can help to raise our vibration and calm our mind. Um, but whatever works for you. If it's the sound, I have wind chimes um, hanging off the balcony, not balcony, the canopy on my front porch. And sometimes I just focus on that sound, mm -hmm. you know, just, just a sound, a thought, a song, whatever it takes that works for you to get you out of the racing thoughts and then helping you to recognize you created the thoughts, you can create the meditative state, you can do it for 15 seconds and then build up to 20 and then build up to 30. And then you can gradually build up to a full minute. And I can tell you, it's pretty amazing to get to a full minute when you've never felt like you had control over your thoughts. Um, but they're like ill-behaved children running rampant in your mind. And that's what the Room of Doors is all about. How to manage those ill-behaved thoughts. That is so fun. Thank you for sharing that. So any client that you work with, you teach them the room of doors. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say that I teach it to all, but to those who need it. I'm very individualized in my approach. Okay. You don't need meditation. You've got your own practice. I'm not going to mess with what's already working. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. That is so fun. So you mentioned that safety and security again. So I did want to, um, I don't know why this question is coming to me, but the difference between safety and security, because they really kind of sound similar, right? You feel safe, you feel secure. So mm -hmm. describe the difference in that. So safe is about, um, I'm not being hit or yelled at. I feel physically safe. Okay. Security is often more about, um, you know, are my surroundings safe and secure? Like, um, you know, I'm not at risk of my home being broken into, um, you know, so there's a level of security that sort of um, safety is first, physical, mental, and emotional safety is first. And I add spiritual safety too, uh, mm -hmm. because there are too many cultish things out there. So I need to feel mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually safe. And then the security, am I protected? You know, it's kind of like you lock your doors and your windows, you might have an alarm or alert system. That's the security, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and then the stability is, am I moving from place to place or is my housing and my family situation fairly stable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's not constantly shifting and changing. I can count on it. It's predictable. Um, and then the significance again is about importance or the lack of importance. That's, you know, especially with um, the neglect, the big message there is I wasn't important. No. Yeah, so safety is about your um, internal world you, your internal security is your external world. Right. The yeah. environment that I live in. Yeah. Okay. Safety can be internal and external, you know, is my body safe? Body safe. Yeah. Which is you being. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Um, all right. So how long have you been in business, Mona? We so as a, as a coach since 2011, as a therapist since um, I, I'd have to say somewhere in the 1990s, um, but um, licensed since 1999 as a therapist. But um, I prefer the coach approach. Um, I find it quicker. And even though I can go just as deep, it's not about reliving the events. It's not about telling me this whole story and all the nitty gritty details. I don't need that because it's not about what you're telling me and what I do with it. It's about what resources are inside you that I can help you to tap into. You know, because if you could already be doing it by yourself, you would have already done it and you wouldn't be stuck, right? Even I have coaches, not just one, many. And, um, you know, because with complex PTSD and, and complex traumas, um, we need different helpers at different times. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I've got several different coaches too, and it just, it just makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, you know, 
um, our experiences at different ages, right? It's mm -hmm. seen differently. We experience it differently and our needs are different all the time. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, why do you focus on trauma and addictions? Because that's what my life has been filled with. So, and, you know, um, my journey, learning how not to succumb to addictions um, and, um, you know, my primary addiction was relationships. Um, and so the codependency, um, and now I'm struggling with sugar, um, trying to get off sugar, um, you know, so that I can improve my, the quality of my health and, and my longevity. Um, you know, um, and so what occurred to me, so when I was first assigned to work at a drug and alcohol treatment center, an inpatient treatment center, um, I thought, oh no, I won't get to work with, with trauma survivors. But what I found was the people that were in treatment didn't stay because as soon as they were off their drug of choice long enough, mm. all their trauma started bubbling up and they didn't know how to cope with it. Mm. And so I found that with most people who've experienced some sort of trauma that's causing them problems, they're probably masking, hiding, numbing out, avoiding, and escaping the emotional and mental pain that goes with it by self-medicating. Whether it's food, like for me, it's sugar. Um, you know, I, I like to say that life can be bitter. I like the sweet stuff. And, you know, Amen. but um, it's time to suck it up, buttercup, and, and do what's normal and healthy. Well, no, normal. I don't like normal. But what's healthy for me, and then I help others look at what's healthy for them as well. Just because I'm trying to get off sugar, sugar doesn't mean all my clients are going to. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar's a biggie. Mm -hmm. It's a biggie in this world right now. Mm -hmm. and it comes it's got over a hundred names and it's hidden in so much so i'm avoiding processed foods uh cooking at home buying fresh um yeah bravo mona mm -hmm. that's awesome i've been doing that for a while but i have to take it another level mm -hmm. um no sugar in my coffee no sugar in my tea uh, there's a song there somewhere <laughs> it certainly is yes for sure for sure yeah when I first started doing hot tea or the coffee it seemed like sugar was just you know of course you're supposed to sweeten it up because when I was a little girl mom filled up my cup three-fourths of the way with milk and then a quarter of a cup of the coffee and then lots of sugar so it's like that's just the way I'm supposed to eat it or drink it however when I was uh, 52, 53 when I started drinking coffee and tea was like in my thirties. And I realized that if I drink a couple of cups of tea a day and I put sugar or honey or agave syrup every single time, that adds up. Mm -hmm. But when I eliminated it, it was like, oh, I love the tea so much better now. I could really taste the herbs and the flavors of it. It's almost like sugar masks all the good stuff. So even in coffee, I never did add sugar when I started when I was 53, wherever, um, however old I was in my later 50s. 
that it was like, oh yeah, I'm not going to put sugar in it because if I do this every day, it doesn't make sense for my hips. <laughs> it just don't make sense. <laughs> my front porch has extended beyond what's healthy for me. <laughs> Did you say your front porch? My front porch. Yep. I love that. That is good. That is good. Yeah. So I think um, most women can feel that at one time or another about sugar because it's just a real, real prevalent thing. And mainly, I believe it's because of our cycles. And if anybody had been with me on the um, on the one show and we were talking about our women's cycles and the phases, it was with Daisy Brown was my guest that day. And when she was speaking to our moon phases in alignment with our phase in our that's going on in our cycles, it was like, well, no wonder I'm craving sugar at that time, right? And so she spoke about things that we can do at different moon phases that will help curb our cravings or whatever. And then also when we go through menopause, um, we still are in alignment. If we're in circadian rhythm, we're in alignment with those moon phases. And so you may still notice those of you who are in menopause or after menopause that you're still feeling them, right? So anyway, for anybody who wants to go in more into the sugar, thank you for bringing that up, Mona. Because sugar is a big deal. And if we can find ways to curb it, then that's that's good. Well, there are two things that the brain likes to feed on. One is glucose, sugar, and the other is fats. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that we are giving our bodies healthy fats to feed our brains, not trans fats and, and GMO fats and all of that. So I'm very fussy. There are only a, two or three oils besides my essential oils. Now I have hundreds of those. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. those essential fats. Um, just in case anybody's curious that's watching this, because people always say, "Oh, what are those fats?" It's avocado, coconut, olives in any form. All of these foods are in any form. Okay. Then you got the tuna, the fish, the eggs, and um, nuts and seeds. And I went out of order. So did I miss any? I think I got them all. Anyway, those, but yeah. nuts and seeds are a big part and, and it's in any form. So fill up each meal with an essential fat. You want essential fat protein and a complex carbohydrate and complex carbohydrate does not have to be a grain. It can be a green. Well, right now I'm avoiding grains as well. Nice. Nice. That's a toughie. I like bread. I make bread, not anymore. <laughs> yes, no. yes. I feel your pain, Mona. I When I had gave up bread uh, in my 30s, I was a bread maker mm. and I stopped making it then. And I haven't made it since other than sweet breads at Christmas time or something. Mm. Or if I'm having a hankering for some pumpkin bread in the middle of the year, I'll do that too. But the point is we we have to go through that process of eliminating it. That's beautiful. Um, just one of those addictions. Uh, what is your the mission of your business, Mona? To reduce the number of deaths by suicide. It's, um, you know, I attempted suicide multiple times myself. And in the book chapter that you referred to earlier, um, part of the story is about how when I was about eight years old was my first attempt at suicide. Of course, it wasn't successful, but 
you know, to be eight years old and thinking that the only way out of a problem was to end your life. I understand that tunnel vision that happens. And I don't judge people or criticize people. I'm there to support you and dig deeper and help discover, um, you know, what's going on that now this tendency to want to end your life um, has gotten you, you know, to this point, because there is, you know, depression, anxiety, and trauma, um, they can sort of get you into this tunnel vision where you can't see the options that are right in front of you. They, you know, this becomes your only option and you begin to justify it and make more sense out of it. And so um, then you add, you know, substances, uh, anything that alters your mood and inter interferes with judgment and, and um, your ability to think things through, then you're at a higher risk for ending your life or, you know, doing self-harm. And so I open the door um, for people who are in so much pain that they want to injure themselves or end their life. Um, I'm also open to families and friends who have lost a loved one to suicide. Um, I know what it's like. Um, and I, I don't want people to feel like that's their only solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that tunnel vision you speak of, that the way you explained that, it it just really stood out for me. That inability to be able to see any other option mm -hmm. other than the one thing because of all the hurt, all the pain, the mental replays, mm -hmm. all of that just keeps going on and on and on. So yeah, it's almost like that tunnel vision gets narrower and narrower. And how you are able to help people open that up, open that door up. Mona, what a gift you have. That is really beautiful. Thank and um, mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody wants to be seen, heard, accepted, and understood. Mm -hmm. And that's what I offer. It's not magic. It's just being fully human and being present with another human being. And that's what I wish I'd had as a young child going through the things that I did. Um, I was surprised when I visited my friends um, that those same things weren't happening in their homes and they had no idea what my experience was like. So it wasn't okay to talk about it, not to my friends, not to their families. So it wasn't until, gosh, I was probably in my late thirties before I found a place where it was safe to talk about what was going on in my world, what had been and was still going on because I kept repeating those patterns. Mm -hmm. And so kind of as a segue into my group that I'm forming, it's called Moving Forward, um, Boundaries, Trust, Respect, and Love in Relationships. And it's geared to help people who are probably in toxic relationships where they're feeling like their boundaries don't matter. They're disrespected, dismissed. Uh, you know, they have little power, if any. And um, it doesn't feel like they can trust who they're in the relationship with. And oftentimes they're losing respect and losing trust for themselves. Um, so um, at times it's when, you know, people are in a toxic relationship like that, 
your self-worth goes down and down and down. And if you've got a history of trauma, especially early childhood traumatic events, and that I'm not worthy, I don't deserve it, I'm not good enough, then it just repeats those patterns until we figure out how to begin to break those patterns. So a lot of people do mindset uh, coaching. Um, I don't. Because if you've got a history of trauma and your mindset is based on that, it's not going to work. You've got to address the root cause of that mindset. Otherwise, that mindset will unravel and, and go back to what is strongest. What a beautiful group to have on social media. We don't actually meet on social media. I build it on mm-hmm. social media, but we actually meet in a prim- private Zoom room. Yeah. Okay. So do you do supportive material through the Facebook group? I can. I haven't always, but, uh, and the group hasn't started meeting yet. We're still forming. Okay. But um, yeah, I I funnel things to the group, not necessarily through the Facebook group. Okay. Wow. That is great. So those of you who are uh, listening to this replay or those of you live, uh, Mona is going to, um, Mona has shared the link with me. So when we post the replay and send out an email that this is a replay with Mona, we're going to put that link in there so that you can go there and check out that group and see if it will, um, something that you would love to be a part of. All right. Is that something? You can come and check us out. You don't have to stay. There you go. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Open door invitation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mona, is there anything else that you would love to say to the audience today before we leave? I'm here, ready to hear you, see you, accept you, understand, and guide you if that's what you would like. And no problem, not money, not love, not health is worth ending your life or harming your body. That's beautiful. Mona, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us today. Y'all, we are going to segue now into the live audience for a Q&A. So if you're with me, hang tight. I will be ending the recording soon. But before I do, I do want to remind you that we are here every Monday at 3 p.m. Central Time for Ashley's Heart Song on the Win Win Women TV Network. Happy that you have been with us. And oh, one other thing. Be sure and check out the Three Brains Vitality Reboot free masterclass that is going to be Friday, June 16th at 1 p.m. Central Time on Facebook. Just look up Three Brains Vitality Reboot and you'll find the group there. But also in the replay posting, we will post the link for that as well so that you can grab your free ticket and learn about the breath, the mind, and those nasty little saboteurs. All right, y'all. Much love and a big old hug. Thank you so much. Live audience, please hang around. We would love to visit with you. All right, everyone. See you next time. 